to do is tell you a little, I want to like kind of build a story. I don't often do this, and so it's not always in my, my nature, but I'm going to quickly try to um, set the stage for you um, in terms of who, what, when, where, how. And, and I've been reading in 1 Corinthians 15. I've been reading a lot in Corinthians. And when I was reading Corinthians um, 1, or 1 Corinthians 15, I read something, and I've read that many, many times. It's about, you know, Paul's talking to this church, and he's talking about the resurrection, and he's, he's, he's like, trying to convince them that the resurrection was true. And, and over the last few weeks, I've just taken a minute to really kind of process, like, the whole story. Sometimes when you're reading the Word of God, it can be a little daunting, you know, and so sometimes it really helps if you could just kind of research, like, who, what, when, where, how, you know? And so I began to just think about Paul, because Paul wrote a lot of our um, New Testament, right? And a lot of what he wrote was, uh, was really directing churches who may have gotten off track a little bit in their thinking. A lot of these churches Paul would have planted. Paul was a church planner. He spread the gospel. A lot of the letters that he wrote to the New Testament church, he wrote even in jail. He was so passionate and aggressive with the truth of God's word. Not only was he aggressive, but he was lovingly aggressive. Amen? How many of you know Christians could, like sometimes we get it right on the aggressive end, and then we kind of miss it on the loving end. <laughs> I think Paul was such a great example of someone who loved people so much when they got it wrong, he would become incredibly aggressive with the truth, but he'd also love them, love them, love them, love them. And so I feel like he is such a fine example. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul speak to the church in Corinth. And what had been happening in Corinth, if I give you a little background on Corinth, Corinth was a place that was kind of between, I think it was between Greece and, and Athens, about 48 miles from Athens maybe. It was very cosmopolitan. It was really um, progressive and reckless in its pursuit of pleasure. I feel like... Um, I was reading somewhere, they were talking about Rome, and I've done a lot of studying on Rome during the time, um, this time in the early church, and Rome was such a wild place. Like, I've heard it compared to Las Vegas. You know what they say in Las Vegas? Like, um, what happens in Las Vegas, what? You are a talkback crew. I love it. Okay, so you've heard that. Okay, so... Not only, not only was, was Rome, Rome would have said, I, th I feel like if we could reword it for Rome, Rome would have said, what happens to Rome, just celebrate it, you know? There was not a whole lot in terms of what would make people happy that was off the table for Rome, okay? Even to the point of, and I don't want to go too far in that, but even in relationship to children, in relationship to adults, you get where I'm going with that? And so there wasn't a whole lot off the table. So we know Rome was extreme in, in pleasure-seeking, okay? But Rome even had a phrase, and that phrase would have been, um, let's live like we're in Corinth, something to that effect. So it was even like a step in terms of its, its um, reckless pursuit of pleasure. It was even maybe a notch above Rome, maybe. And so 
So this culture also was a culture where it was polytheistic, and I don't use all these words, but how many of you know like a polytheistic um, culture is a culture that not serve, that they don't really believe that there's one God. They believe that there's many gods, right? And so sometimes it's very hard when you are working to witness or to minister to people who are from that kind of background because they oftentimes will receive the truth of Jesus but then they kind of add it to all the other things, right? And so Paul was here talking to a group of people who had received the gospel, and, and there were people in the church that were sticking straight on the truth of what Paul brought, the gospel. But there was also this group of people who were being really affected by these charismatic intellectuals within the church. How many of you know that has even happened in, our, in the church of today, right? There are people who are who are just people people. They're very charismatic, very likable, very good. And when you have that and you have someone who's passionate about something, what you can do is what can happen is there are people within a group who will start to follow that person, right? Because they associate that as like their Moses or their person. And so instead of going to the Lord for themselves, they begin to go to a person. And the problem with that was that the people of Corinth, these intellectuals that were within the church, they were within the church. Do we get that? Because sometimes deception and heresy, false teaching, can come from within the church. We understand that, right? And so these intellectuals had come to the conclusion that the resurrection kind of seemed illogical, okay? They, they could understand the, the point that Jesus um, came to earth as a baby, they got that, and he came and he lived and he was a good man, he was a prophet, all the things. But then when it came to the, the truth of resurrection, oh, that just seemed a little outlandish to them. And so there was this permeating thought that maybe that was just an inspirational story, like an allegory of sorts. And so, and so the people of Corinth had, had, were really teetering on this. People of Corinth also... So they, they, they did struggle with following man. I think even some of us do today. I even notice with, with Christians today, if we're not careful, especially when we're young, we can think everybody who comes in the name of the Lord um, represents all things of the Lord, right? And so I even, I even think with like our podcast, all these things that are really great tools for us as believers, we have to be so careful I mean, I, I said in earlier service, I love Robert Morris. I don't know if you even know who he is. He's one of my favorite. He's like a preacher's preacher. He's just got so much wisdom. I love him. But let me tell you what. I don't love him as if the gospel belongs to Robert Morris, right? He's a messenger, just like Pastor Bowen. You know, I grew up under Pastor Bowen's leadership and his teaching. And, and I, you know what? He's been my pastor. I, I love Pastor Bowen, but I have read the Word of God for myself to know the Word of God. I believe the Holy Spirit resides within me and gives me discernment in all things. And so whenever there's a culture and there's this, this permeating thought of maybe, maybe what the Bible says is not completely true. Do you know why I'm telling you this story? Do you see it in our culture today? Do you see that the cult, there's a culture there's a culture that's saying, okay, like, well, okay, Jesus, okay, let, let's just add him. But pleasure's number one. 
We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to live how we want to live. And love looks like accepting all the things, right? And we're in a culture... Nothing different. The Bible says there's no new things under the sun. There's that. And we live in this culture. That's why I'm I'm thinking as I'm reading this over the last couple of months, God, this is like us. We're like this culture and we're this church. And if we're not careful, we're going to be easily deceived if we don't understand that this gospel is not from man, but it's from you. And you're the one alone who gets to decide what is true and what is not. Okay? Amen. If you believe that it's truth, you can clap. I love it. The Bible is truth. Sorry. And so, honestly... Paul begins to write, and because people were, were all about other people, some of these people in this group, not all, but there were some, and because he's writing this letter, he's, he's even seeing a trend within the church where people are, people are beginning to identify the gospel with him. They're saying, oh, I follow Paul's gospel, and there are other people who are like, well, I'm following Apollos' gospel, and I'm following this, and Paul really quick comes in, and he's going to straighten them out, and he's going to say, no, 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 like, this isn't my gospel. This is actually the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just the bear. That's a leader for you. That's a leader. You trust leaders who don't claim to hold all truth. You follow leaders that follow the... Paul says later on, he goes, follow me as I follow Christ. That is how we are to look at people within the church and in our culture who claim to come in the name of the Lord, right? And I'm so off topic. <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay. So he's speaking to heresy. But then he's going to get to the facts. Paul's going to get to the facts, and he's going to say, okay, here are the facts. So if you read, in fact, let's go back and let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 17. You wondered if I had a scripture to even back anything up, didn't you? Here it is. Okay. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. I'm going to read that again. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, okay? So Paul's making this argument. Guys, like this is, this is not, um, this isn't an option. Like Jesus, like this is the very thing that we as believers are standing on. And he comes with the facts and he's like, okay, we know it. Christ came. And he tells the story. Christ came. Then he says, you know, Christ died. And then he goes into the point of and we needed salvation. How many of you know that you need salvation? And I'm not talking about I need salvation because I was bad, now I'm good. I'm saying we need salvation every day, right? We need salvation. We need those mercies that the Bible talks about that are being new every single morning, right? And so he's like, we, needed, we need salvation. And then he says, And then he says, then Christ was buried. We acknowledge he was buried. He died. He was buried. But then here's the good part. And then he resurrected. Everybody say resurrected. Ooh, say it like it's really exciting. All right. Okay. So then Paul understands. Like, I'm building this case with the the church of Corinth, okay? And so, like, it's not enough to tell them, you know what? Paul, I'm Paul. The gospel transformed my life. I was Saul. We know that Paul actually had a name change. He actually took part when when the new believers, the early church, when they were um, 
persecuting Christians. Um, it says that Paul like held their coats while they stoned Stephen, right? And so we know that Paul was about the law. He was Saul then, and he was about the law, and he loved the law. So some of us do have a lean, like we love to know the formulas. We love to know the things. Paul was like this, and it didn't make sense in his mind how Jesus could have come and disrupted the system like he did and be real and be true. And so for Paul, what it took for him is on a, on a day of traveling, on a road, he experiences the, proud, the presence and the power of God in such a way that he is blinded. And God calls from, says from heaven, Paul, why are you persecuting my, my, my church? my people. And Paul ends up going, the Lord tells him to go to a house. He goes to a house. The guy at the house prays for him. He can see again. The analogy here is he was blind, but now he saw. He was dead, and now he's alive. And what that did for Paul was it gave him a new name. He went from Saul to Paul, okay? And he went from death to life. So Paul, when he's talking here, he could easily say, you guys don't even know how I was. You don't even know. But here, he's going to go on to say, no, there's actually proof, okay? Because we know that, that the women who went to the tomb, they got to see Jesus. We know that the men on the road to Emmaus saw Jesus. We know the disciples saw Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. And then Paul says in chapter 15, there were 500 people at one time who saw Jesus, and many of them are living today. So he's speaking to their doubt, not only as a person who's been transformed, but also was from someone who there were eyewitness accounts. That's what lit the fire under their church, is the experience of seeing their Savior um, resurrected, okay? And so he, he's going on and he's, he's talking to the church about the resurrection. And, and not that it's so important that Jesus was resurrected. Yes, yes, yes. But what that means for me and you is there is a principle of r resurrection at work in our life and in the church. Amen? And so what that means for us is, for me, when I think of the power of the resurrection in Joy's life, what that looks like for me is I would have been a woman bound in a ball of fear for whatever reason, I remember being smaller and always dealing with some kind of shame. And I don't even know what that was about, but it was my propensity. You know, all of us have sins. I always say we're more outraged by everybody else's sin than our own <laughs> because we don't identify with it. Because the Bible says each of us are pulled away by our own evil desires. What that means for me is that everyone sitting in here has a lean. And so for me, when I think of what Jesus did for me, my lean was to be afraid, to be ashamed, to be insecure. I would have never stood in front of you guys and ever said a word. But by the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can get up here and be totally fine because I know that this isn't Joy's gospel. You don't have to bank anything on me. You can bank it all on the blood blood of Jesus Christ, and you can know that Jesus Christ died for you, and so there's nothing for me to fear to get up. That's what the power of the resurrection does in our lives. I think each one of you could go in your head before you got saved, and you could think of the thing that so easily entangles you, and if you think you don't have it, you need to ask the people around you, right? And so the principle of resurrection is powerful, the reason I'm, I'm talking about it here today when we're going into 21 days of prayer and fasting is I do feel like 
And don't, and I want you to hear my heart because I know I, even in first service, I, I want to reiterate this as, as much and as loudly as possible. I believe the Lord cares about every situation in our life. I believe if you have a financial need, the Lord cares about it. I believe he's our provider. So I want, you, I want to get that out of the way. I believe if you're sick, I believe that the power of the Lord is to heal you. I believe God's promise is that he will heal us each and every time. And I believe he's sovereign enough to decide what side of heaven that looks like, okay? And I believe that sometimes we hold on to the earthly things so tightly because, frankly, I don't feel like we even get it. I don't even think we get heaven sometimes. Um, Mackenzie, I know you love it when I talk about you. Mackenzie sometimes gets so frustrated with me because when I was younger, I was so scared of dying, you know? And I don't know what happened in me, but I've fallen so in love with Jesus that there are just times where we'd be talking about something, and I'm like, I literally cannot wait to get to heaven. Like, I'm just itching for it. I can't wait. Because when you have a revelation of the eternal, it changes how you live here. And so, like, I believe so Firmly that God, God is the healer. I believe he's the provider. I believe that he's come to make us whole. Here's what I want to say going into 21 days. I want to ask you that while you still bring those things to the Lord, I want to ask you to seek first the kingdom of God. Let's go to Matthew 6.33. Okay? It says, but seek ye first the king, his kingdom. His kingdom his kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everybody say his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. There's two his and one you, okay? That means the focus is on him and then there's us because he's awesome and he's good and he's so worthy, okay? And so he, what he's saying here is like, you know what? Before you give me your list, before you tell me all the things that I already know anyway, that are right, I mean, I believe we should always go to the Lord and tell him what we need, but he knows it, right? That's more for us than him because he knows that. And so I believe, like, church, I think we could go to the next level globally as a church as our church, when we get our eyes off of the quick fixes that we are so determined that God needs to meet, and when we go to him and we're saying, we're going to seek you first. And so what I want to do is I want you to pull out that card that you have. And there's two questions on that card. The first one is, what am I believing God for in my life? Okay? The second one is, what am I believing God for in my world, okay? So I'm going to explain and really talk about some of the things that maybe I even felt like the Lord kind of stuck out to me, but they're like, there's so many, there's so many things that God could be dealing with you. So if, if I don't say it, that's fine. But there were some things that, that I just, I looked at in terms of myself and I thought, you know, when I'm going to write on a card, I'm going to look at, if I'm seeking the kingdom of God first, I want to see the areas where I need the Lord to become great because I have lack, right? And so these are the, I'm going to name a few places that maybe we feel like we have some 
some lack in, that we need the Lord to come. That's the beautiful thing about being a Christian, too. Like, the world's always telling us we've got to be strong, strong, strong. Oh, but the Bible tells us we're good when we're weak because it's in our weakness that he is made strong, right? And so if we look, if we look at the first thing, the first thing that came to my mind is just control. Like, maybe you feel like your life is out of control, Okay, maybe you feel like everything's spinning and everything's out there. And maybe, maybe for you that could be addictions. And I say addictions and our minds go straight to like the outward things. And that could be true. But what about those inward things that are these thought processes? There's a a young woman in my life that really struggles with self-deprecation. So she's not here. So, you know, trying to figure out who it is. But there's someone in my life who who, um, comes to me and talks to me. And she is like, I struggle so much and I can't even figure out why. Sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on figuring out why. When really we just need to bring it to the Lord. We're wasting time, right? And so, and he'll either show us or just walk us through it. And so this young girl is like, I have these processes. And it's like, I know it annoys every person in my life. I know it's frustrating because they feel like, oh, now we got to encourage her, right? And so she's, she says, I cannot help it. If I could, I would just stop because I know it's irritating and it's irritating me. But I have this compulsion. I, it's, it's like before I can even think through that I'm saying something over myself in my life that goes against the Word of God. It could be an addiction like that. Those are the types of things that I'm talking about. What about um, gossip and, and creating drama? That doesn't happen in church. Cue to laugh. Okay. What about angry outburst? How many people live as, an, as adults who are still having to walk out healing from parents who were stressed out or, or had things going on in their life. And instead of dealing with it, finding the kingdom of God first, they just really let it out. And before they know it, they don't even know what they said to their kids. But then your kids are just carrying it. They're just carrying it. This could be a boss at work who said something over you. This could be anything. So maybe it's like, maybe in your life, you're the one. I'm going to be honest with you. And I, I don't, I, I've told the Lord, I don't ever, ever want to get on a platform and act like I have it together. There's nothing in my story that I don't want the Lord to be able to use. And so this is an area of angry outbursts. This was something when my kids were very small, I would get so overwhelmed. And there were times where I just snapped. Has anybody ever done that? Okay, am I the only one? Okay, and I would just snap, and then I'd see the look on their face, you know, and I would think, I would feel God like, I don't want my kids to carry the junk that I refuse to deal with. And am I perfect today, Kenzie? No, (laughs) I'm not perfect today. There's accountability sitting on the front row. I'm not perfect today, but I tell you what, I look more like Jesus today than I did 10 years ago. That the goal because we're all in process. And so maybe, maybe for you, it's control, right? Maybe for you, you would say, oh, I lack peace. I just don't have peace. Maybe in your mind, and there is a lot of us out there, that when we feel trouble coming, our forecast is always going to be bad. 
And we're going we're gonna to not only speak, like we're not going to speak to those thoughts with the truth of God, but naturally, our natural propensity is that we're going to fuel the fire with thinking all the ways it could go wrong, right? That's, that's a common th- thing, you know? And then what about change? Like some, the Bible talks about like things are going to come in life. There's always change. There's always offenses. There's always Things are always shifting, whether it's relationships or vocation or all the things. And, and if we're not careful, we can allow the fear of change to, to create an atmosphere in our life where we just can't figure out peace. We can't figure out what that looks like to live in peace. And so you need the Lord to come in and not just fix this situation for you, but you need the Lord to show you that he is Lord of your heart and his anchor can give you peace in your life. Amen? Okay, and then um, comparing yourself to others. I feel like I've seen this on, you know, Instagram and all the things where they say, you know, comparison is the thief to joy. Have you seen that? Okay, so comparison is the thief to joy. So many of us can't experience peace or joy because we're so busy comparing ourselves and it's never been easier, is it? You get on Instagram, and everybody's got their best face forward, unless you have that one friend. I always enjoy that one friend who just constantly is, like, (laughs) celebrating that they don't have it together. That's nice sometimes. But, you know, like, for the most part, we're thinking, and if you're single, this is the absolute worst sometimes, because everybody on earth is married, and they have the cutest kids ever, and maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, I'm waiting on the Lord, and that's a struggle for you. And so you're constantly comparing yourself, and then you're like, Lord, why can't I find peace? Maybe you have been married and maybe you've been abandoned. And you're like, Lord, this isn't how I wanted to live my life. And all my friends are married. And I'm the only, I'm on the outside looking in all the time. Do you know how many times I hear that? I always feel like everybody else knows all the things and they get it. And I'm just on the outside looking in. I felt that way in my life. And so maybe, maybe for you, those things have kind of stolen your peace. What about joy? I want to say right here before I start, some of these things came to my heart and my mind that I'm going to trust they're inspired by the Lord. This is where I want to pause and say that the, the Holy Spirit quickened in me this next one. And I know this is for some of you. I feel like the Lord put on my heart last night specifically that some of you lack joy. And for you, it has looked like sadness, depression, and numbness. Maybe heartbreak settled in because of something that happened in your life, and it was real. And maybe it wasn't fair, and it wasn't good, nothing good about it. And maybe you were, you were heartbroken or disappointed Maybe you felt abandoned in your life. And what has happened, what I feel like the Lord showed me, is there are people who now have a spirit that has really settled in because of the thing that happened, and it has stolen all joy. And when they try to think of what happened, that's why I say sometimes we don't even need to like take this big journey that takes all of our time and effort to figure out what went wrong. When we have a Savior who says, call on my name, like, call on my name, and you're going to be healed, okay? And so, like, maybe some of you sitting here be like, I am so sad, I'm so depressed. Some of you celebrate just not feeling anything because it was better than the hurt that you felt before. 
And God does not want you none. When I hear hear the Lord speak and I read his word, we are a living church, not a numb church. And sometimes, and I've heard Christians say this, and it makes me feel so heavy-hearted when I hear Christians say, I'm just numb, so I'm good. I don't feel anything anymore. I could take them or leave them. Oh, the Lord wants you to take them. He wants you to love them. He wants you to love people, but he wants to heal your heart. So if you're sitting in here and you are struggling with sadness, praise Jesus you are here today because that is his word to you, that he wants to give you joy. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, strength for fear, okay? And so the last thing on my little list is hope. Hope. Maybe you lack hope. Maybe for you, there are things that you have believed God for and you've been disappointed because you were asking the Lord for the fixes and you believe that he, he could because he, he knew all things, right? You believe that, that his character, he, he was for you and yet you prayed for things to happen and those things have not happened And I would say to you today, this is another area where I just felt the Holy Spirit just, that the Lord wants to be the author of your hope, not the situations that disappointed you. He wants to be your source of hope. Maybe for some of you, you've lost hope in the future. You can't even see the future. You don't even, you know, you you always like when we go around the circle and you talk to people, and sometimes I do this with the youth because I like to pick on them, and I'm like, what do you want to do? Like, what is this? It's this daunting question that you ask, you know, and so there's some that are just so ready. Like, they just know. Like, they have all this hope. And then there are certain times when, you know, someone will literally look pretty sad, and they're like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know. That's a bad place to be, isn't it, sometimes? When, and this isn't about vocation. It's about looking into the future and seeing hope, okay? And sometimes it is so difficult when you feel like you can't even see hope in the future. And let me tell you, if you cannot see the future and look forward with hope, and I'm not talking about knowing what's going to happen. That's not, that's not the point. I'm talking about knowing that your future is good because it's connected to the power and the presence of the Lord, right? That's about knowing that no matter where I go, what I do in this season or the next, my hope is in the Lord, so it's only getting good. And as Carmen says, gooder, okay? It's only getting better because we're in Him and our hope rests in Him. So on those cards, um, On the second part, it says, what are you believing God for in your world this year? And this is a challenge for even how we pray for the people in our world, okay? I know as a woman, a mother, someone who's married and has kids, for me, almost every single time, it's going to be my family. Like, what do I want? What do I want for my kids? What do I I want for my marriage? What do I want, you know? And I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I just want to have a good marriage. You know, I came from a home where, where I didn't have a dad in the house. And so for me, it was always like, man, I just want to have a good marriage. I want to have good kids. And I actually heard a sermon. I don't even remember who it was one time, but it kind of rocked my boat. But the whole concept was like, don't just ask God for good, but ask for godly. 
I don't just want my kids to behave and not have the heart of freedom living inside of them. I want my kids to be godly. And sometimes to be godly, the Lord will take you through a wilderness experience that us as mamas can't really control, right? And so, Lord, I I say to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, whatever it takes to cause my kids to love you, because if I'm just comfortable and they're just good, that is not enough. Okay, And so for me, praying for my family, that looks like praying that the God's will would happen in our lives. And that will is to know him and to make him known in their life. So I don't want just good in my marriage. I want to, I want to love God so much. I want Reagan to love God so much that I feel safe in a space. Because when our hearts are turned towards the Lord, then we fulfill the will of the Lord and the work of the Lord. And it's, a, it's this beautiful thing. So what about work? So this could look like for us, like we're praying at our work situations, and I'm throwing out stuff that we hear and we pray with people about, and I know have been topics for us, work. How many of you have prayed, Lord, take me out of this job? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, all right. Lord, take me out of this job. Lord, move this worker. I like my job, but this is one person. Or, oh, they put me on this job, and this job is too hard for me, right? And let me tell you what, the Lord cares about that. I've seen the Lord move people off of jobs. I've seen the Lord move people into different vocations, okay? I've seen, I've seen so many things. But what I'm going to challenge us with today, if we're going to say we're going to seek the Lord first and his kingdom, and all these things are going to be added, maybe what that looks like for you is praying not about the problem that you want God to fix, but Lord, make me a solution at my work. Lord, give me insight into this person who is aggravating the snot out of me, okay? That's southern, isn't it? Okay, Lord, give me insight. Lord, I don't know how to do this job. But you're supernatural, and you know what? If you'll, if you'll give me the capacity, I'll do it, and I'll do it with all my heart. I think the Lord loves that, and I think he fulfills those prayers. What about finances? So maybe finances for you, if you're praying for your finances and the things in your world, maybe not just praying, Lord, give me what I need right now. Lord, I need to win $2,000, and we will be good. We will be sitting pretty. You know, or Lord, I need you to just fix this, or I, you know, we just need a car. And those things are real, okay? And the Lord does meet financial um, prayers when you pray over your finances, the Lord does. But I'm gonna talk about first, seeking first his kingdom may look like, Lord, teach me how to manage my finances. God, teach me how to be a good steward of what you've given me. Lord, help me to. Live within my means. That's a tough one. Ooh, but I want Starbucks every day, right? Or Dunkin'. I, I like Dunkin'. Um, but I want these things, but then it's not wise. So here I am, and I'm going to Dunkin' every day, and I'm not, because Reagan won't let me. But, but then I need the Lord to give me this. And if I'm praying for this and the Lord gives it to me, then his kingdom hasn't come in my life, and what changes there? I'm just going to need more later, Right? And so that prayer would be like, Lord, establish your kingdom in my heart in such a way that I am a really, really good steward of what you've given me. Okay? And then I'm going to talk here for, about resources. And this is, this is really just the end. But um, resources being that don't just give me more resources. 
But Lord, help me to expand my capacity. I will say that has been the theme of my life for probably about six or seven years. I read a book, um, it was the book Sister Bowen had us doing one time in the women's ministry. It was The Lies Women Believe, I think. It's The Lies Women Believe. And she talked about one of the lies we believe is that we can't get enough done in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That that's a lie. And I was the mom of young children, and, and I would feel like, man, there's laundry to do, and, you know, these kids, and especially if you've had kids that, especially multiples who get sick at night, and they all start vomiting on each other, and you're tying up sheets and all the things, and I'm just exhausted, and I'm trying to live my life and keep up, and I just feel like, oh, it's not enough. I began to change how I prayed, and I said, Lord, give me the capacity to enjoy and do more than I ever thought I could do in 24 hours a day. And not only make me, allow me to be able to do it, but Lord, actually allow me to have quality in what I'm doing. Okay? And one thing I can say, I've, I've entered like working again um, over the last few years. And I will say to you, I have never felt in my life like I have been... Um, expanded more than I have, and yet I feel the quality of my marriage, my relationships, of ministry, all the things I feel like the Lord has supernaturally done in my life as he's expanded. And here's the deal. He's the same God for you. That is why the resurrection is so important, because it is a supernatural thing that we can't wrap our mind around. And when you understand that God is supernatural, then when you have needs, you don't doubt that he can meet you supernaturally in those places where you need him most, right? Amen? And so time, like that, that time is a resource. In fact, it's an emotional currency, I'd say, in your marriage and with your kids and in your friendships. Okay, what about your home? I'm going to say something that I'm pretty sure if you had a tomato, some of you, you might throw it at me. Okay, but I believe this firmly, that your home belongs to the Lord. I mean, the physical home belongs to the Lord. In the early church, people were won by people who were just eating together, loving each other, doing life together. And most of the time, we do life on a Sunday morning for two hours, and then we're gone. And we talk about community. We talk a lot in this church about connection. We want you to connect. We want to do those things. But, but connection, true connection comes when we open up our life and we let people in. And some of us have never prayed because we have a fixed mindset. We have never prayed and said, Lord, you know what? My home belongs to you. Show me who to invite over. Show me who I can have over that I can extend. Because you know what? The lie that we believe sometimes is, I'm, that's just not me. I don't really have it in me. I'm not very hospitable. I'm not all the things, you know. And that's a lie from the enemy because you ask the Lord, he's going to meet you there. And he's going to show you how to love people in the space that he gave you anyway right? That resource belongs to the Lord. And then friendships, okay? Friendships is one of those things. I know so many people, there seems like there are certain people that just have a million. My, my mother is one of them. Where is she at? I mean, every day on Facebook, I'm like, her life is a party, like a party all the time, it seems like. And I'm always like, she has more fun than I do. But you know, like, some people just seem to have a lot of friends, and then there, those are, those, there are some of us who don't have a lot of friends, you know, because for whatever reason, maybe it's the, the stage we're at in life, some of us don't have friends and we are so hungry for friendships. 
And those are good prayers to pray. Lord, give me godly friendships. You know, that's a, a real prayer to pray. But in the meanwhile, maybe you're even praying, Lord, send me a husband. Send me a wife. Lord, do this, do that. And the Lord is saying, I want you to be good, a good um, steward of relationships. I don't want you to be the friend that's always having to get everybody to do things for you, but I want you to look for ways to invest and make deposits in your friendships. And maybe you don't have the friendships you want, but you start acting like that friend, and I guarantee you will get them. Have you ever noticed the people who have the most friends are the friendliest? That's in the Bible, okay? The people who have friends, if you don't have friends, then maybe you need to look at why you don't have friends. And you need to ask the Lord to do a work in you and let his kingdom come in you so that you can have friendships. But we definitely want to be people who are not always making withdrawals, but making deposits in the lives of those around us. And the last thing is money. And that is maybe for you saying, Lord, you know, in the area of my money, I want my bank account to reflect the heart of heaven. Do you ever say that? Man, it is a powerful prayer to pray, and it is scary at times, but it is so good because the Lord meets you there. I feel like, you know, for some of us, I don't want to discount paying bills and all the practical stuff because a lot of you work really hard to provide a good place for your family, and that is generosity in and of itself. But then, but then there's this, this, this thing of maybe for some of us, it is taking the next step and really giving to the Lord, like really giving to the Lord in ways for the homeless or the poor in different areas. And so, like maybe for you this year, it's about seeking the kingdom of God first. Does that sound okay? Like, is it okay for us to give our list, but before we even get there, seek his heart? Is that okay for us to do? So I gave you this card. Reagan, you can go ahead and come up. I give you permission. I don't know. I don't know what I'm, but I, uh, this card, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and start filling it out. We're going to have communion, um, and the bucket in the middle, you just put this card in there. Remember, don't put your name. We're going to be praying over these things. I'm going to pray real quick, and Reagan will lead us in communion. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of the resurrection. I thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves, but you have left, left us with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit at work in our life, that in every area where the enemy has come to bring death and destruction and lifelessness, he's wanted to kill our dreams, to take our joy, to make us feel out of control, Lord, in all the areas, Lord, that we have, we have just lived with, that we would say no more this 21 days. I'm making room for the Lord in my heart and my life, and he is going to be my treasure, and I'm going to seek you. And when I seek you, I will find you when I seek you with my whole heart, Lord. I trust, Lord, that you're going to do great works. I pray for freedom in the house in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.